Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Russell Meiselman. He is the president and co-founder of Clark Staff. You're going to hear all about Clark Staff, as well as their remarkable office in Clark, uh, their expansion to now seven countries. And we're going to hear Russell's take on how to build and scale effective teams. We discuss training the clients. You heard that right. It's not training the staff. It's actually about training the clients in terms of what it means to build a good operation and a good team so that that can scale. It's a really interesting and far ranging conversation with Russell. I really learned a lot and enjoyed it. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Russell, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, to talk to you again. It's been a long time. So, Russell, you are the founder, co-founder and president of Clark Staff. You have possibly one of the most remarkable offices in the Philippines, if not the world. Can you first give us an intro to Clark Staff via uh, describing the kind of office that you work from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a funny and, and semi long short uh, semi semi long story, but I'll try to keep it short. Um, we, you know, we're obviously myself and Zach, my business partner, uh, we're from America, and we're very used to um, unique office spaces and uh, and working in very collaborative spaces. And um, one of the things that we noticed uh, out in the Philippines is there wasn't much of that. So. Uh, we had this idea of creating this very large open space, uh, you know, graffiti on the walls uh, sort of environment um, for uh, the Filipino employees that we have um, to to really have a nice big collaborative space to work in. 
Um, so we we actually built the office in Minecraft. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a video game. Uh, we decided to uh, to build it in Minecraft and came up with the ideas and and we sort of uh, made that Minecraft uh, vision uh, come to reality over the course of uh, a couple years. And it's really a fantastic workspace. People love it. You know, swimming pool, uh, uh, ping pong tables, and pool tables and it's a very big open workspace, so there's not a bunch of cubicles or or private offices. It's it's very much an open workspace, and and we feel that it's uh, benefited us uh, in a lot of ways uh, in terms of uh, keeping the staff happy and and uh, keeping them motivated and and really just giving them a creative space to to be who they are. It's it's incredible, you know, and it, it, I say remarkable because it it really is that, you know, just people want to talk about it and people share it, and you know, there's a novelty factor. Um, when I visited, I was you know shown around. Thank you for that. Um, there was there's a massive Statue of Liberty um, in right in the middle of the place. There was I think a jujitsu is that right? Jujitsu yeah, class. Yeah, jujitsu gym. Yeah, um, container containers you know sort of stacked up on top of each other in this kind of massive massive cavernous warehouse like it's really an incredible space um how, how tall is that statue of liberty by the way uh i don't know off the top of my head 30 30 plus feet but it's not just a statue of liberty liberty anymore we have um the iconic uh uk uh phone booths and we also have a a kangaroo now <laughs> a big old punching kangaroo uh, actually stacked up on one of those uh, one of those container offices that we have in the office. That's incredible. So we represent everybody get, globally now. <laughs> where do you get a thirty meter, a thirty foot Statue of Liberty? Um, we actually got it from the previous. Uh, there was a guy uh, in in Clark that uh, made it for I think himself and. Uh, he just didn't know what to do with it when he moved uh, out of Clark, and so we we took it off his hands. I don't I don't really know. It was more of luck than than anything else. We we didn't plan to have it, but he had it sitting on the side of the road, and we decided to take it. Crazy, huh? You adopted her. <laughs> we adopted her. And you know, there's a lot being said about the office and work from home, and you know, it, yeah. it's it's really kind of dividing the whole workforce. What have you seen in terms of the impact of having an office just a little bit different and an office sort of focus on um, what well-being and and sort of good times as opposed to sort of the standard boxy office? How have you? Is it sort of beneficial? Would you say? Yeah, it's it's been one of the biggest um, motivating factors for us to keep expanding on it and uh, and and keep sort of going in that direction uh with the you know the development of the office it's not an uh, it's a never-ending project i will say there are some downsides to um uh to air conditioning a, a warehouse that big or, or keeping it clean and that sort of thing but the, the benefits have been huge i mean uh staff really don't feel the same sort of pressure i think uh, really the reality is is during the pandemic or, or working from home uh you know, the comfort of not feeling like you're, you know, in a one by one, one meter by one meter cubicle, and, and you're just another cog in the wheel. Uh, this sort of office gives everybody uh, a way to express themselves. And, um, you know, it's, it just opens up the door to a more collaborative space. I, I'd really, I would say that our employees uh, enjoy the amenities uh, that we provide. And I think that 
is how most workspaces should be, uh, regardless of whether it's in a warehouse or a traditional office space. If you don't have an option to do that, I think, um, you know, really providing the staff a, a place where they feel safe and, and can have fun along with uh, really work hard. And I think, you know, there's a massive trend in the 2000s, I suppose, to make offices incredible right across the world. And of course, you know, you've got the Facebooks and Googles and things like that. Um, but then COVID happened and it seems that everyone, despite living, you know, working in these luxurious kind of palaces, want to work from home. How, how have you seen that? Uh, you know, we obviously, you know, being based in the Philippines, the Philippines was hit pretty hard in terms of COVID and in terms of the lockdowns. But how are you now juggling that balance between people sort of being drawn to their homes and building out a fantastic office? And where are you lying in the middle yeah. of that? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, so prior to the pandemic, uh, we, we really started expanding to um, other locations around the globe. So we, we currently have employees in, I think, seven countries, but the Philippines is still our number one location uh, for, you know, remote employees. I would say that the, the biggest strain, obviously, was, you know, early in the pandemic where everybody was sent to home uh, and we had, you know, this massive, beautiful office uh, nearly empty. Um, but the truth is, is I think most people, you know, some people are, are fine working from home. I think it takes a ter- certain type of personality. It takes a certain type of work ethic. Uh, it, and you just have to, you have to, you either have it or you don't to work from home. And a lot of people, myself included, is not, I'm not as productive uh, working from home than I am uh, working in the office. And I think um, as time goes on, we'll, you'll see more and more people sort of trending back to the office or part-time in the office, part-time at home. Um, I mean, I understand the benefits of being at home, less travel, uh, less expenses, more time with the family, all of that stuff. And I think that stuff is important. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our, our work is what allows us to live the lives that we want to live and, and provide for our families. And so if, if that means being more productive uh, in the office, I think it's, it's a small price to pay to, to build a future for, for yourself and for your family. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, you know, and it is. I think everyone it's is not an of, easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it seems like employers have one um, agenda and then the employees have another agenda and, and, ev- you know, it's really difficult, you know, and our employees kind of motivated by their own motivations for an easy life, or are they actually looking for sort of optimal productivity and things like that? Like that's obviously a loaded observation, but it yeah. is, it's difficult. And of course, Elon Musk has just sort of come out with uh, more claims that the laptop class are living in la la land. And it's, um, I don't, I don't know where it's going to end really, but I, I do feel for the sort of the Gen Z, that are growing up in jobs in their bedrooms, you know, and not ever getting into these offices and collaborative spaces and learning off seniors and kind of absorbing the the kind of work scene. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I think, you know, if you're at the top of your field um, and you're, you've, you know, you, you feel like you can't learn much more, then I guess work from home is, is, you know, suitable. I just don't think that's a reality. I think regardless of what field you're in, a cl- like you said, a collaborative space, learning from up from people, observing, um, having that social interactions with, with other professionals and other fields. I think it's, it's a overall personal growth experience. And again, you know, obviously as an employer, 
um, having people work from home is a logistical difficulty. But the truth is, is I mean, there's it's just it's it's very hard to be a hundred percent productive working remotely unless you have the resources and funds to put yourself in a room and build yourself a nice office to where you really are. You have all the things that you need to, to be productive. Uh, most people don't, like you said, most people set up a computer or a laptop in the corner of the bedroom and that's how they work. And I don't know if that's, if that's a healthy and or productive space to be, uh, for long term. Yeah. Yeah. We're certainly going to find out over the next 20 or 30 years, aren't we? But it does <laughs> yeah, seem an unavoidable wave, you know? It's, um, it seems absolutely unavoidable, doesn't it? Like that we're all heading towards this kind of remote norm going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so give us an introduction to Clark Staff, um, you know, and also your journey then with growth. You, you say you're now in seven countries, is that right? And I assume then sort of leaning more towards the kind of remote work opportunity as well so give us give us sort of an oversight of the company where it is now yeah yeah thanks um so i mean yeah over the last 10 years uh we we've really transitioned uh the business uh and services that we offer a few different ways we started off in the lead generation space and appointment setting and you know call center sort of traditional call center model um we've transitioned from that to more of a professional services uh business um, we, you know, our primary employees, uh, that we, that we employ now are, you know, engineers and nurses and accountants and, you know, graphic designers and developers and that sort of thing. So more of, you know, professional, uh, workers in that sense, uh, versus the traditional sort of call center space. We still do call center work. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not the majority or, or it's not the biggest part of our business. Um, over the last, uh, I would say five years, we've sort of expanded into, um, some of these countries, uh, really chasing talent pool. Um, you know, the Philippines has the best to offer in a lot of different spaces. Um, but there's just certain roles and certain things that, uh, that, you know, Filipinos aren't good at. And that's, there's not much, but there, there are a few. Um, so we do, uh, you know, have staff in India for, for developers and programmers, and we have staff in, uh, in Georgia for bilingual and, and, uh, some different roles there, uh, in regards to, to language capability. Uh, the same goes for the Central American countries. It's really more for language, uh, purposes. Um, and so, yeah, we do have remote employees hundred percent. We definitely do. Um, we did open up a new office in, uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, um, and uh, we do plan on opening offices uh, in some of the other countries that we have employees in now, uh, just so we we can uh, sort of continue on with that uh, that in office culture and, and have that stability. Um, you know, the way that we run our offices are, you know, multiple internet lines, backup redundancies, generators, and that sort of stuff. Compliance, uh, obviously, for PCI and HIPAA, and, and you kind of name it, GDR, uh, GP, GDRP, I think it is in, in the UK, um, and so. You know, it's it's hard to do all of that stuff remotely, so we we tend to lean towards uh, in office. But yes, we of course 100% have have employees remotely. Um, yeah, we're you know we've been we growing uh, over quite obviously we took a hit in the pandemic, uh, but we're back to you know pretty good numbers. Uh, we're just under a thousand employees of roughly 120 plus customers, and 
and in seven countries. So uh, we're, we're doing pretty good and, and we, we're, we're trucking on to, to keep on that progression and making sure that we can really provide the best service and, and the access to the talent pool that people are looking for. Well done. It's um, it is a journey, isn't it? You know, and I, I think COVID made every business, but you know, not least the outsourcing sector, sort of reassess um, their businesses and and the the core business model. Um, and it's interesting to see. I, I think the Philippines is slightly a victim of its own success in that the staff are great, um, and you know, especially we being based here, you you know what you're going to get. But they're just it's um there's a shortage of good staff, isn't there? And just the demand for good Filipino staff is is phenomenal. So um, it is hard. And then I think that forces a lot of people to go offshore and look elsewhere for the new, for the new teams. And um, what are you, um, what have you learned in terms of expanding to six other countries, you know, because a lot of the value I think in terms of outsourcing firms is to sort of shield clients away from the, the nuts and bolts of the hardcore sort of just getting things to work properly and navigating the local systems. But you've kind of thrown yourself into the deep end going into six other countries and having to navigate that yourself. Is it, is it hard? Is it tough? Is it hairy or you just, yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, you're going to work through it, but there are some situations that obviously uh, call for, for you know, bringing in the professionals, and we're, we're a big advocate of that. I mean, um, in every country we've expanded to, uh, we've reached out to outsourced companies and and uh, facilities, uh, lawyers, and and all of that. I think the biggest thing that that we do really well is we really focus on um, you know the HR and its sort of infrastructure perspective of it. Uh, when we move into these countries, our number one thing is how do we get compliant? How do we are we we need to pay what's appropriate and get the right benefits for the for the staff in that particular country. Um, how do we secure the right partners for you know the infrastructure, the IT, the computers, the um, the the redundant internet lines, and so on and so forth. So yeah, we we outsource uh, some of this stuff ourselves, right? We use third parties to to help us build these teams uh, in these countries that we are not in. And in a lot of cases, we send, you know, we go there. Uh, my business partner, Zach, right now is in Georgia. We just uh, procured, like I said, uh, uh, and, and purchased a new office in Georgia. So he's out there um, helping and uh, setting up the, uh, the infrastructure side of things. And uh, we hired uh, a great team, um, outsourced team to, to help us with the, the HR and benefits and payroll and all that good stuff. Uh, and we'll, we will send people to the countries that we need them in uh, to to sort of help take our culture and our structure and then rebuild it and recreate it in a new place. But yes, it's 100% challenging and not easy. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, how would you sort of sum up what's the elevator pitch for Georgia? What What's the talent there like? What's English like? What are the costs like? Yeah, the costs are very similar to the Philippines. I would say the the elevator pitch is if you need unique languages – that's the place to go, right? We have uh, Russian speakers, Spanish, uh, uh, Japanese, uh, you name it. There's just a, there's it's a really good melting pot uh, for bilingual speakers, and um, their salaries are comparative to the Philippines, um, and their work ethic is is up there as well. They're hardworking people. And uh, are they um, like what's the English like? Is it sort of as kind of like native spoken as the Philippines, or is it uh, sort of yeah? So, act, so kind of language. 
yeah no so accent yeah i mean it's native in terms of everybody speaks english um the accent is going to be uh you know that of you know eastern european sort of accent right so a little bit of a a russian twang uh of that sort of thing in terms of their english but yeah it's the, everybody speaks it and they have that same sort of native everybody grows up speaking english so yeah everybody can speak english but um yeah they, they have a different accent uh than filipinos filipinos have a very neutral sort of universal accent which i think is part of the reason of the of the philippines still being and probably will continue to be the number one location for for outsourcing yeah fascinating fascinating just incredible opportunities i i had a podcast with a guy from albania um and i didn't realize but you know they're very strong with italian and so they because they're obviously quite close to italy as well they um service a lot of the call center needs of italy and things like that but they're sort of they also speak english and french and you know incredible kind of versatility in terms of languages um, but yep. it's amazing how broad the outsourcing industry is now you know it started with a few countries but a lot of the emerging economies really want to get into the outsourcing game it's such a powerful value proposition yeah there there's not a country yet uh that we have found that that isn't a suitable place to outsource i think it really just comes down to um you know the workability obviously red tape uh and government you know support sort of come into what countries are more appealing than others but yeah there's there's you can do outsourcing nearly anywhere now incredible so you have a thousand staff you've no doubt employed you know maybe two or three thousand more than that over the years sure. and you you know have vast experience about getting offshore staff to do what they need to do and but we spoke just briefly before the podcast and you said you're now focusing you know your entire business on training the clients more and getting the clients more aligned with their offshore teams and getting them more efficient so you know um can you explain that like a, a lot of people sort of see the whole learning curve in terms of actually learning how to use the offshore teams but why are you focusing on on the client side so much yeah, I think the biggest thing um, and, and the reason we've really sort of changed the dynamic of uh, our approach uh, in terms of training and development, we have a, you know, a training and development team uh, internally um, and that that department spends a lot of time training staff and and, you know, helping. We, we call it client readiness, right? Client readiness training. How do we how do we get people trained and, and ready to uh, interface and be successful with customers? And that was something that we launched a couple of years ago and it was very successful when we have, have we've had a lot of success with that but the truth is is a lot of the customers um out there that we you know i would say newer customers obviously um and they've never outsourced and now that outsourcing is becoming this uh you know sort of uh avenue for for people to scale and grow their businesses there's just a, a lack of knowledge in terms of what is successful what do they need to do what do clients need to do uh to be successful in outsourcing and so yeah before the before we started here uh, i asked if we could talk about uh, you know three simple things that i think that all customers should sort of you know take a look at and put into place prior to um you know outsourcing or in collaboration with uh with their outsourcing partner um 
I mean, outsourcing partners yeah, should be yeah. doing this stuff. I think that that's one thing that a lot of people were surprised. A lot of people are surprised, I should say, uh, about how our how we work and how we operate in terms of our approaches. It's we really work uh, heavily on the front end with our customers to prepare them for outsourcing. And they're like, we don't get it. Just give us the 10 people that we need and and let's call it a day. And it's, it's just not that easy. Um, yeah. Obviously, managing people across the globe comes with its own challenges. But, you know, sort of having the right structure uh in place uh you know using playbooks and SLPs uh and obviously you know the power of you know using goal setting right smart goals or OKRs and sort of implementing that um with your outsourced team and that's where we've seen the most success is where our customers are taking that advice and, and sort of running with it um and they really are able to scale their businesses and I think for us right um we sort of have this mentality of your success is our success. So we know that if our customers, they might come to us with three seats or five seats to begin, if their business grows and and their business is successful, they will utilize us more. And in turn, our our company and our business will grow and be more successful. So we're really, you know, we really try to work heavily on, on, training our customers to be successful and growing their businesses so we can sort of reap those benefits as well. And these three things are really, I think, um, the simplest way to do that is just to understand that a management structure is necessary for an outsourced team and, uh, you know, going into that. Um, I, I don't know if you, how, how much you want to go into these three things, but. Uh, no, yeah, I, wanna, I do. I do want to go into it. So the three things just to recap is a proper management structure um it is playbooks and sops and it's smart goals and okrs um that's interesting before we before we dive into it um how do you find that clients react when you go you know it's not me it's you kind of thing because there's kind of an (laughs) ego thing involved with it isn't there often i find you know clients coming from the us or uk they think they're sort of the big dicks around town and they they're going to show the filipinos how to work properly and you know there's kind of an ego thing and then when they get sort of hit in the face by saying actually you've got to really sort of improve your processes to make this work um it you know they often don't expect it how, how do you find that initial conversation goes well i mean i think i think initially um it's obviously a harder conversation, right? It's a harder conversation to have to approach a customer and and tell them that, hey, you don't know really what you're doing in terms of this. We're the professionals you know, and, and we'd and like to Just help. interrupting as well. What I, what I find is that people come to outsourcing firms and it is a clearly, I'm the client, you are the vendor and you'll do what we say. Whereas I think that outsourcing works best if it's seen as a partnership yeah, and you work with the client's business to improve their business and as you say sort of you know build out the operations and build out the capacities but a lot of clients they see it as you're the vendor you do what we say yeah so it's really difficult to sort of level up and say look we need to be a partner in that is that, is that sort of how you it's there's a different level to it isn't there yeah i think so for us we're, we're very careful um we we not quite this tainted but as an example we turn away more business than I think we take on a monthly basis. And the primary reason for that is what you just said. Uh, It's our customers coming at this with the mindset of a partnership or is this a transactional you want us to, uh, you know, you're going to whip a whip 
uh, from 7,000 miles away and, and pretend like you know what's right. And so if, if that's the case, it's just usually not the good, uh, the best fit for us. So we tend to not work with those customers and we just let them know that it may not be the best partnership for us. And we, and we move on to those that are more open-minded and willing to, to understand, learn and grow together. Cause it, it really, like you said, it really is a partnership sort of approach. It is, it is the opposite of transactional. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So the three management structure, what do you mean by that? Like, uh, yeah, so setting up teams uh, remotely, uh, a lot of people assume that uh, there's, you know, their their current management uh, structure or culture, or their hierarchy within their organization, is a repeatable, scalable thing. And the truth is, is you know, like we we run, we have over a thousand employees, and most companies that we work with uh, are small to medium sized enterprises, and they have between 10 and 50 of their own employees. So what works for 50 doesn't work for 500. Does that make sense? And so they don't understand the importance of uh, management structure and really building out a proper department or, or having a hierarchy, uh, like a hierarchy in communication and reporting or understanding and clearly building out the roles and responsibilities for both the re- outsource team and the internal team. So really, having a management structure for an outsourced team is, is not only a, a really basic starting point, but it can also be translated into your business. If you're, if you're a company that is, is smaller and, and, you know, you have multiple people that are wearing multiple hats, um, you know, it, it's, it's very, it's very helpful to sort of have some of the basics in place. So the basics would be clear lines of communication and reporting, you really need to identify who's going to be the main point of contact for both teams, right? The remote team and your team in the office. What will the reporting look like? What are the, you know, the shared meetings? What will, how often are they? What will be discussed in these sessions and so on? So it's really important to establish that up front. Who are your POCs? Who are your point of contacts on both sides and, and, and who's in charge, right? And, and how does that look? And then the second would be establishing a clear hierarchy of roles, like who does what and when, who makes these approvals and those approvals. Um, it really helps everybody understand their role in the partnership and what to, you know, what to expect. It really also helps prevent the confusion and misunderstanding. Unfortunately, this piece is the biggest one um, that I feel that happens all the time where there's just too many chefs in the kitchen and uh, a lot of confusion or misunderstandings and things that could, you know, could have been solved uh, in, in a couple of days, took weeks to, to really uh, hash out. And so that it's hard to do that when you don't have clear hierarchies and, and responsibilities outlined on both sides. Um, the next would be, you know, clear performance metrics and targets. This seems like a very duh moment, right? It seems like everybody should have clear performance metrics and targets, but the truth is, is most companies don't. Um, most companies come to the table, even in their own in-house teams, and they they just, you know, hey, she's the accountant and she's good at it. Why, how do you know she's good at it? What does she deliver? Does she get you the managerial reporting that you really need so you can, uh, you know, enforce change and affect the bottom line? Or is she just doing the bookkeeping and getting paid a accountant salary? The point is, is clear performance metrics and targets is something that you need to have. Obviously, training and development programs for both the outsourced and the, the local teams is important, but it's really just an overall general statement of, do you have a management structure for your company 
And then can we translate that somehow to the outsource teams? If you don't have one for your internal teams, let's build one for the outsource teams at minimum because they're you're starting fresh. You don't have to restructure and, and hurt people's feelings by uh, giving them an actual boss and giving them real deadlines and performance metrics. But you can do that with an outsource team when they're in the beginning stages because that's just it, it's it's going to be more accept, easy to accept that this is the the environment that these teams are being built on. Yeah, that's cool. Huh? I, I often find that when people start outsourcing, it almost forces them to go that like sort of mature their business to the next level because often you know small smes as you say with about 50 staff they kind of just chat amongst each other and they're in the same room and um kind of stuff gets done but as you say like as you get bigger as you get more mature as as you sort of cross oceans with your staff you need better processes you need proper structures and um it's a bit of a rude awakening for people sometimes but it it's then um infinitely sort of invaluable isn't it because the the company's gone to that next level they've written stuff down things are clear they've got charts and they know how things work it, it's um it's a valuable kind of step isn't it and it's you know it's not outsourcing that that needs to be the cause of that but often it is because they sort it of go is, to that yeah. next stage and feel that they need to formalize things yeah, well, it allows really for better delegation, right? And then in the efficient use of resources. I think the reason why um, outsourcing, when you begin, it forces you to be more structured is because it's like, you know, you are paying a bill at the end of the day, you're paying money for these folks, and you're paying a service charge, and you want to you want the most out of it. And so when when the outsource partner comes to you and says, Hey, you know, we want you to delegate better, we want you to be more efficient, we want you to, to have more trust with the team, and we want you to get more out of what you're doing you, you, here's a way of doing that it, it that's usually the best approach um but you know <laughs> sometimes it's it's uh people want to learn it the hard way yeah okay so and then we have playbooks and sops what do you tell us about that yeah so i wanted to you know i'm going to combine the smart goals and okrs uh, if you're okay with it just you know for the sake yeah, yeah, of time yeah. Um, so playbooks uh, are a simplified version of SOPs. SOPs are standard operating procedures, right? They're clear guidelines, documented procedures for, for any business process or task. Really, that's really what it is. Um, and playbooks and, and uh, SOPs really pay a big part. Uh, you know, when you're in a small team, small teams have small problems and these small teams can sort of figure it out. But there's no scalability in that, right? And I think uh, that's the, the problem that a lot of companies have in growing their business and getting it to the next level is, is they're really not positioned to scale. And having playbooks and SOPs allow you to position yourself for scale because um, you can sort of move people, your resources, your, your talented folks, and put them in places where they bring the most value. And so somebody that, you know, is raising 150 orders a day, for example, um, if you're selling a particular product, uh, they they probably can bring more value by doing X, Y, Z, and you can get the next person in uh, that's entry level to raise those orders. Um, and that, that person that was doing it for six months to a year can sort of uh, progress and move up um, in, the, in the workspace. You, you can't really do that without playbooks or SOPs uh, because then you have the transitional problem. You have the churn. You don't, you know, things get done differently. Details get missed. And then that's where people's fear starts coming in where you start getting bad reviews or orders start getting dropped or whatever that is. And, and it primary reason for that is, you know, the playbooks 
not being in place. So we use a playbook uh, formula versus SOPs. SOPs are are just the more long form version. We've we've simplified it with the playbook uh, sort of system, but they're the same thing. Playbooks or SOPs. Um, so in line with that, uh, smart goals and OKRs really sort of help align what playbooks you need and what things you know you need to evaluate to look at are those tasks still bringing value you know i do a lot of consulting and i spend a lot of time on the road and visiting our customers uh in person so i actually go to their offices and i spend you know a week two weeks consulting and working with them and their internal teams with no we don't i don't get paid for this we we go to figure out um how they operate and so we can then take that back and, and help their teams be more successful and i think one of you know my experiences is with that is when i go into um some of these offices they don't have playbooks they don't have sops they don't really set very smart goals and or okrs and uh and they don't sort of have a plan for a quarter or for a year of how they're going to get from point a to point b and beyond and it's really just very survival versus sort of uh positioning yourself for scale and, and agility and so i think with that one of the biggest things I will say is that that most people that are going to get into uh, outsourcing work with your outsourcing partner. Find out um, how they can help you in building out these playbooks or SOPs. What are smart smart goals? How do you structure them? Uh, even if you're only doing this stuff for your outsource team to start, that's a good place to start, and that will eventually translate into your internal teams uh, once you start to see the success of those. And it's not an easy road going down playbooks and documentation. It feels very uh, bureaucratic, right? And a lot of people say, well, I don't want my company to be a uh, bureaucratic uh, you know, corporation. Well, it's like, but you also want to triple your revenue. I mean, there's really no other way, right? It's like you have to figure out uh, a way to scale things and get the repeat uh, outcome. So if you like how that's happening, how was that done and document that and repeat that over and over and over again. Uh, and these, these sort of tools uh, allow you to do that. Smart goals, OKRs, playbooks, or SLPs. And with all these tools, Russell, it, it is, it's kind of one way of doing business. Do you often get, you know, I'm fascinated by the kind of interaction with the clients. Um, there's sure. a lot of different ways of running businesses and, you know, there's like sure. the EOS and the traction and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. GTD, get things done and, um, do you do you find a little bit of pushback in terms of clients either just you know wanting to free flow it like an artist as you say or they kind of have these other systems and then it's like well you know um, there's kind of a clash of almost religion you know like I follow this and sure. you follow that and um, how, how do you reconcile those things? I mean, sure. I mean, look, eh, you know, you can you can bring a horse to water, right? It's not like everybody that we work with uh, is very systematic and organized. Um, but you know, I, I work. We work with some very large companies and some very small companies. I've never walked into a company that's doing four hundred to, you know, six hundred million dollars a year and not seen these things in place. So if you are a business owner that is doing a million, two, three, five a year, and you're happy with that, then great. And it's it's very fluid and artistic-like, and, and you have the culture that you want and all of those things, it's fantastic. But you can't then turn around to your directors or your partners and, and, and tell them that you want to triple your revenue and not be willing to get more systematic in your ways, right? Like there's, there's like, you know, for us, um, my business partner is uh, not a big, uh, you know, 
sort of documentation uh, structured person. That's just not how he's run his previous businesses. And when I brought this, we brought this to the table as, hey, this is how we're going to take our business. Um, there was obviously some pushback even internally. But, you know, once you understand the reason for it and and, and the safety and checks and balances that it gives you uh, and all of these things, it, it really, it for me, it, it, it allows people to really laser focus onto what they're good at and then, you know, run with it, right? It allows for those barriers to be those, those sort of lines, uh, to be drawn and then you can stay within the lines and, and run as fast as you can. And it really starts to, you start to have a lot of success, uh, in my opinion, when you, when you start to structure, but yeah, of course, not everybody wants that. And I think it's just where each business is, right? If you're, if you're making the, the money that you want to make and you're, you're making the impact that you want to, then don't change anything. Um, if you want to get to the next level, there's a million different ways to do it. Uh, I would go through me personally, I would use, you know, sort of more structured uh, organizational teams. It just seems to be more scalable and repeatable. Yeah, yeah. You do need something, don't you? You need to stick to, you need to find a system that works and stick to it. You and can't stick just to have it. Exactly. sort of a, a free anarchy. It uh, doesn't work. Yep. It's, it's interesting, Russell, I, I wrote a book on outsourcing. And as I, in part three, it's sort of more of the actionable you know, how do, how do you do it and how do you build all these systems? And as I was yeah. kind of writing it, you realize actually it's got nothing to do with outsourcing. It's just actually how do you run an efficient business? How do you run business? How do you run exactly. a business, basically? How do you exactly. manage people? And and it has nothing to do with offshore staff, outsourcing, Filipino staff. Um, it's just about, you know, having clear processes, having SOPs, having something written down, having clear lines of management, having, having accountability. It's funny, isn't it? You know, but it sort of, people encounter so many kind of friction points with outsourcing and offshoring and employing people. Uh, and sometimes I wonder, is it actually the fact that it's, it's offshoring or you're dealing with, you know, Filipino workforce, or is it just the eternal struggle with um, running a workforce efficiently? And I think it's a lot of the latter. It's, yeah, it's in, my, it? like, in, in my experience, it's a lot of the latter. I mean, hmm. we've had, you know, some of our, I will call them our best customers. And it's like, you know, you don't really want to ever say that you have uh, a, a favorite customer over somebody else. But I would say that like uh, some of our best customers take take on this sort of challenge and, and idea that we've given them in terms of, of being more structured and I mean, like the success stories are unreal. Like they've really just grown their business and, and gotten to the next level with simple things. And like you said, it has nothing to do with outsourcing. It has everything to do with just being efficient and running a business. And I think, you know, I think I, the misconception is, you know, I'll give you an example, doctors, doctors, there's no, doctors are extremely talented and smart people. And I think there's very few people on earth that would disagree that a surgeon uh, isn't at the top of his field, but that doesn't make him a good businessman, right? It doesn't mean that just because he opens up his private practice that he's all of a sudden just going to be good at that either. He might be one of the best surgeons in the world, but it doesn't mean that he can run and grow and scale a business. And so those, you know, the blessing that I think I have and, and our business has is we work with so many different industries. So, you know, the time that we spend on the road working with our customers in a wide range from logistics to medical to engineers to startups and tech and you name it, uh, we sort of learn 
all the time. And we take that knowledge and we sort of implement it within our own business, but we also are able to turn around and take those same success stories and those same things that worked and what didn't work and help our customers sort of outline a plan that, that may be suited for them. Mm. And I think it's interesting, you know, I, I'm always on the cautious side with clients in terms of advising them. And like often we, I sell the dream with outsourcing. I say, you know, you can get fantastic sure. staff, save incredible amount of money and blah, blah. But it, it's never a walk in the park, you know, hiring people, getting business to work properly and then getting the team to work efficiently. It's never easy, whether you're using offshore staff or whether they're in your hometown or, you know, whether you're mm -hmm. in New York or London. It's hard, isn't it? You know, and it's you know, employers will always say that the most difficult thing of a business is getting the staff to work of, to do the thing they're meant to do. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, it's difficult when you sell outsourcing and sell the dream, and then reality kicks in, and you know, it's continual adjustment and pulling levers and tr trying new things and uh, you know, changing the SOPs. It, it's never yeah. easy, is it? But it, it's sort of the the only way, and it's the best worst way i suppose yeah i i go the opposite i don't sell a dream i downplay the dream because i right. think everybody everybody knows of the dream of outsourcing right they they hear all of this crazy success and and they're eager and willing to to come to the table and and sort of uh get into it and get their feet wet on it um and i definitely go the other approach this is not going to be easy this is going to be this is going to be as hard or harder than it was when you first started your business and you were in your garage doing it. And I really go very dark and gloomy. And I only do that to sort of set that expectation. Like this is, you know, outsourcing is not a red easy button, but it is a portal. And I say that with choosing my words as carefully as I can. It is a portal to the next level. If you don't outsource, you will be stunted. Maybe not today, maybe not next quarter, but in the next five years, you will lose to your competition if you don't tap into it. So I'm a big believer in what we do, but I'm also in a big believer of, of it's not a red easy button and it's a lot of work to get it going and get it going right. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible what you just said there. It's not an easy button and it's a portal to the next level. It, it It's profound, isn't it? And it really is. It's It can transform a business, but it's it's... It, it's it's a grind, you know, business is hard. Uh, nothing is a free pass and, and it's got to be worked on. Incredible. Absolutely. So the Russell, last thing, I, 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 the yeah, last yeah. thing, I, if you don't mind, if we have another no, couple please. minutes, a little bonus topic that I think that is is just equally as important of, uh, of the, the couple of things that we've talked about is really the importance of understanding the culture of the people in the country in which you outsource. And if it's multiple countries, you need to learn those cultures. I think this is a, such a big topic that people just incredibly underplay. You have to know how the culture affects everything from communication to managerial structure to how they answer you, how, what their work ethic is like, their cultural nuances. You know, you really need to understand and be willing to learn the culture of where these people are located for you to really utilize them the most. And I think this is a topic that, you know, people like to pretend like they're worldly, but most people don't leave their town and or their state or their or their country. Um, they don't really know what the culture is like in the Philippines or in India or in Georgia or in um, Mexico or El Salvador or, you know what I mean? In some of these other places, they don't really take the time to care or learn even just the basics of what that culture is about. And I think 
if any customer really comes to the table and they really truly deep down want true success as quickly as possible, they're going to take this into consideration. Hey, how should I interact with these folks? What, what sort of things should I avoid? What cultural differences do we have that I need to understand in the workplace? Uh, and there's so many examples, but, but I think it's just worth noting that the culture of the, the location where these remote employees are is something that you should look at if you're, if you're looking to outsource. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, we, I was saying before that everything is just fundamental um, management, international management. But the, as you say, the culture is the clincher and that's what that's like the glue that holds everything together and can destroy everything as well if you don't kind of acknowledge individual people and their cultures and how they kind of communicate and interact. And it really takes, it, it's not the language, but the culture takes translation, doesn't it? And you need to translate that culture and understand that translation before you can really work with that that new culture. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and there's some... The nuances, isn't it? As opposed to sort of just having a clear SOP for that. It's understanding these very fine yeah. nuances. I mean, you just, you know, as an example, right, some cultures place an extremely high value on hierarchy and the deference to authority. So when you're working with a team like that, you need to have the hierarchical structure structure, and you need to have the importance of being aware of what their expectations are of the job and so on. And then on the flip side of that, right, you have cultures that prioritize collaboration and teamwork above everything else, right? And so it's like in those environments, you really have to be, you have to have a creative space. You have to encourage open communication and have uh, what they call uh, top, uh, bottom to top level conversations and sort of, you know, it's so you really have to at least take the time and read, I don't know, at minimum, uh, 10 articles and, you know, watch five videos on the culture in which you're going to outsource. So that we, at least you have a, a, a basic understanding and obviously more than that is better, but, but that's at least a starting point. <laughs> yeah. It's complicated, isn't it? Gosh, it's it complicated. Is. Russell, thank you so much. I always encourage people to pick up the phone and have a conversation and, and, you know, if they can't tell by now, you are extremely experienced in both offshore staff, global employment, but also, business and just getting things to work. Um, so I encourage people to, to have a call. And as you say, it, it's a portal to the next level. It can transform people's businesses. So if people are on the fence, um, it, it's just really having that first conversation and sort of seeing how it can be uh, implemented into your business. Uh, so if uh, people do want to reach out or learn more about Clark staff, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. You can visit our website, uh, www.clarkstaff.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us, uh, info at, and obviously if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also get to my email, uh, Russell at Clarkstaff.com. And yeah, I'm always open to have conversations. You know, part of, uh, what I do is, is really the consultative, uh, working with customers approach. So even if you're not sure, that this is something you want to do and you want to have the conversation to see if your business and, and you're in a place to really be successful at it. I'd love to have the conversation. And, uh, and even if it's something that you're planning for in the future. That was Russell Meiselman. He is the president and co-founder of Clark staff. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.